I'm Abby Strauss, and welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I first met Jacobo Goldstein when he was taking care of his late wife, who was then suffering from end-stage dementia. He is still active as a journalist and was the CNN White House correspondent for 17 years. Because journalists are usually quite adept at making observations and capturing the crux of an issue, I asked him to join us to give us insights into what it was like to have Alzheimer's disease in the family. But there are other aspects to his fascinating story. Both he and Francis gave much to the world insofar as understanding dementia. Mr. Goldstein, thank you for being here. Pleasure, Doc. Please tell us, as a starting point, of the wonderful story of what happened to both of you in Argentina. Well, my wife's father was born in Argentina, and we used to travel there a great deal. And in this particular occasion, I was going there to give some interviews to our affiliates in Argentina. And Francis came along. It just happens that the day before we arrived, a major story broke out in an Argentine newspaper. Washington Post and interviewed Francis and I on her disease, the year 2000. And uh, this was picked up by all the wires, and Argentina was very interested in, uh, in Alzheimer's. So they called us up. We had a very mutual, very mutual friend who had been a correspondent of a newspaper, Argentine newspaper in Washington. We had had dinner the night before the story broke. And he called us up the next morning saying, the story has disappeared, and the health, health section of the newspaper is very interested. They've never interviewed an Alzheimer's patient in Argentina. See, that's interesting because it's never interviewed an Alzheimer's patient. Wow. I guess because the family was afraid that the person might not speak well or it could create problems with insurance companies. Or maybe it was taboos like leprosy or, or having some disease and and they were very intrigued by the idea an Alzheimer's patients could give a statement. So I asked Frances, was she? And she agreed. So the newspaper assigned a young lady of about 30 to spend a day with us interviewing Frances and asking me some questions. And the story came out two days later and it was a major front page story, as a matter of fact. They had a picture of Frances and I on the front page. And then it was a very extensive article saying, you know, answering she was answering questions, how it felt to be a patient. Uh, they asked me how I felt to be a caregiver. And the beautiful thing is they illustrated the story with the Alzheimer's Association Argentina, the 10 points in which you can do a home test to see if a patient should go see a neurologist, a psychiatrist, whichever. And so it became a very interesting human-sized story. And as soon as that thing broke, the next morning, the same journalist who had accompanied us all day called us and told us that the two main television stations were wondering if they could interview Francis because they had never interviewed an Alzheimer's patient. It ended up, Francis ended up doing the top newspaper in Argentina, the two, two television stations, and then a radio interview during her, because she was fluent in Spanish and English. First time she had done it in Spanish, though. So what seems to have been the message that went to the Argentinians? What about being or having dementia seemed to intrigue them so much? Well, because this is a disease that's prevalent around the world, as I unfortunately found out. Most of the interviews that I had seen in my time also had to do interviewing doctors, interviewing statisticians, interviewing psychiatrists, gerontologists, but hardly a patient. And the way Frances started doing this is her doctor in Washington called her up one time and said, Frances, you can turn me down. Nine other people have turned me down already, but Reuters wants to do an interview on me on this special medication we're doing the experiment on and you're on. And they want to interview me, but they need a patient. Would you be willing to do it? When I got home that night from the White House, Francis asked me what I thought. And I said, 
what do you think? She said, I'd love to do it. I think it's important. I said, well, you got my full backing. And that started a whole chain of events because they kept calling the doctor. Dr. Azen is a very prominent doctor, especially in memory disorders. They kept calling him. He kept calling Francis because nobody else would do it. Before we knew it, Francis was all over the newspapers, the television station, because she had the valor, the guts, I would call it, and the drive. She knew she couldn't find a cure for herself, but she wanted to help find cure for humanity. Very much like the cases when Betty Ford had the breast cancer and talking about it, many people felt less discomfort in going for help. So Francis really has a, a legacy in, in, a, in a unique way in terms of what she did for Alzheimer's. Oh, definitely. And she was not afraid when she was asked, how do you feel or, or do you have any hope for the future? And she kept saying, you know, she did five experimental programs, five different ones. And uh, she kept fighting it to the very end. Well, you know, you know very well and you got to meet her. And she was a very unique person. And when we came down to Boca Raton, I had to give up my White House position because my daughter lives in Boca. And I needed help from her, her husband, and, and our granddaughter. And when we came to Boca, Francis still gave, kept giving. She was interviewed by a, a company that makes interviews on different medical subjects. And she appeared in 80 different stations across the country because by this time she had learned to paint here. And he was, but she could no longer basically see in words she could do with her painting. So she kept giving until the very end. It was amazing. What's intriguing, and I think a good message to reflect to people who are, are listening, is the fact that even though her dementia, it existed, it, it didn't mean that her life ended. There was a lot of life still in her. Doctor, what she did is just incredible. She used to be my producer before she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She used to come with me to the White House for many years. She kept coming with me while her stage was still not totally advanced. She took some of the most interesting pictures you can imagine. I have a collection of pictures that she took in the White House of special events, people arriving, my doing interviews, other things. That's amazing for a person with, well, you can do a lot of things with Alzheimer's, believe me. And, and that, I think, is such a key issue. And that's one of the things that impressed me about listening to the story is that you kept her very active. You, you insisted on it. You pulled her into things. And whether or not that activity prolonged the number of years that she lived, I, I don't know, because it, it is a disease that progresses on its own chronology, has its own chronology. But look what you did. And, and for people listening, the motivation should be don't stop. Don't leave your wife at home. Don't leave your mother at home. Do things. Take them out. Definitely. One should never be embarrassed to take out an Alzheimer's patient. They're still human beings with emotions or feelings. You know, Frances, when she learned to paint here at the Memory and Wellness Center at Florida Atlantic University, she was so proud of her work. She was so proud. There's a poster out there. First one ever made. Francis, one of Francis' pictures, she is in a medical textbook on gerontology. They looked at some of her pictures, asked permission to publish one of them. We we never went out and, and asked for interviews. We never went out or asked for this. They kept coming to us. But you also made yourselves available. Oh, definitely. Francis, you know, I always heard Francis, I wasn't her agent. <laughs> and I would always ask that somebody wants to do this. She was interviewed one time by the, by ABC News when it experimental drug looked promising and she came out appeared on the program with peter jennings may he rest in peace and that same week she appeared in a program with dan rather when he was the head of cbs news so francis really if you look at all the things that, that she did for other people because she couldn't do it for herself but she always used to tell me if i can find something to keep my children from getting it or find a cure for somebody else she gave until the end doctor it's amazing 
When you look back over the years, and apparently her dementia began to present itself like in the year 2000, I think you said? 1998. 1998. It's a decade and a a, a, a fraction here. Um, Almost 11 years. Almost 11 years. What, from your perspective, has changed for the better and perhaps for the worse in terms of how our community approaches and manages people with dementia? Well, you know, I went with her through all the stages. She went to a daycare center. She ended up spending a month at an Alzheimer's facility. And then my daughter and I and my son decided the best thing for her was to keep her as comfortable as possible with 24-hour help. Mm -hmm. And we were very fortunate that we found uh, people who spoke Spanish because Spanish was her original language. And as you know better than anybody, uh, as the disease progresses, your memory, your short-term memory goes, but your long-term memory stays. And Francis was, was more comfortable in Spanish. And these people not only spoke the language, but they had this caring facility. I mean, they cared like if they were caring for their own grandmothers. This mentality is still out there in Latin America. And, and Francis spent the last nine months of her life in an apartment, 24-hour, Victoria, my daughter, and I used to go there all the time, spend hours with her. Our son would come from California. She was never alone. And she had the best doctors possible. She had the best nurses possible. And she also had people that communicated with her because uh, when I occasionally go into nursing homes and so on, the staff may not speak the language. And I remember years ago, there was an elderly person who, as she got older, reverted to Yiddish. And we used to have to find people who would talk to her. So that's a very important thing. But but the same thing, she got visitors that spoke English, and she could still speak English. She was just more comfortable than the other. But she, you know, I will love my wife forever. Uh, This uh, past uh, Valentine's Day was the first time in 50 years we didn't celebrate it together. But uh, she gave me such an example of what a wife, a mother a citizen and a valiant, brave patient could be that she will live, she lives in me. I still go around, I give I give community service, I, I lecture at the Memory Wellness Center, I lecture the Alzheimer's. I learn so much from her, I try to give it back because communicating with Alzheimer's patients, as you know better than anybody, is not the easiest thing in the world. No, it's not. But she taught me so much that I have the patience to sit down, joke with them, try to get them to participate. And it's very, it brings back her memory to me, but it also helps me cope. So that despite the frustration that there clearly was, you were able to find ways to rise above it. Well, I'm still fighting it. Okay, that's fair. That's but, fair. But uh, yes, yes, uh, I, I still give lectures. And I combine, I give a lot of lectures on journalism and current events and still an active journalist. But I also uh, give lectures as, a, as an Alzheimer's caregiver as as a proud husband of a unique woman who was an example to everybody who met her. And I will continue doing what I can in her memory. Did the Alzheimer's surprise you? You know, a lot of people go through life thinking it can never come into their family. Did it surprise you? Oh, totally. From what I learned afterwards, she did everything you're supposed to do not to get it. She used to read three books a week. She used to be a fantastic public speaker. She used to memorize her speeches. I mean, she had an incredible memory. She was a straight-A student. 
And, uh, you know, she loved everything. She loved the art. She loved music. Uh, very active person. She, she wasn't just sitting at home. She was tremendously active. But when the disease came, you know, we still remember she was reading a book. And, and she turned to me and she said, something's happening. I said, what? I said, I can't remember what I just read. She spent two weeks rereading the same paragraph. It happened to have been the, the biography of Catherine Hepburn. She spent two weeks reading the same paragraph, trying to recapture it. By that time, we knew something was wrong, and then a bunch of tests happened, and, and we knew. I remember watching on television when people were beginning to announce that Ronald Reagan had memory loss, and uh, it really impacted the, the, the country a great deal. It, it, it brought something sort of hidden out, and Francis did the same thing. I covered the last two years of the Reagan presidency in the White House, so I got to know him very well. And and then, you know, uh, we we heard about the disease and we kept its progression. Part of the great affection that was shown to Ronald Reagan after he died and all the tributes that were given to him as a politician, as an actor, as a human being, there was also this factor of, of that Nancy Reagan had come out publicly about her husband. He became like the poster, poster boy. And we hope, we hope this would lead to more research, more money, more thing. It helped. And, uh, but it's still a long way to go. This is an unending fight, and we all have to be part of it because sooner or later, we're all going to be affected directly, indirectly, close friends, relatives. And, you know, we can't just sit and wait for it to go away. It won't go away. We've got to find a cure. And we're working at that uh, task uh, step by step. It is very difficult because people, I think, sometimes assume that medicine has more magic than it really does have. I'll tell you one thing that I did learn. And I met some wonderful nurses here, not not just the ones that took care of Francis, but people who would come and visit, uh, what do we call them, the last stages of the life, hospice. And, and people, when you have a caring nurse who is a capable nurse, you have a double whammy. When you have a nurse who just knows but doesn't have the heart, not the same. I think the nursing profession and the caregiver profession has to understand that it's not just medicine, it's love. That helps the patients also. And uh, what can I say other than yes? Hakaba Goldstein is a journalist who has been fortunate to meet many very significant people in our history, but it sounds like the most significant person that he met was his wife. And uh, I had the opportunity of meeting her, uh, meeting his family, but I also had the opportunity of hearing the story which we've captured today, and I think it is going to serve very many people to hear it as well. I appreciate your honesty, and thank you so much, and let's continue on with the work. Thank you, sir. I admire you greatly, too. I think you're great what you're doing right now. Take care.